0: Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. Have you ever had a moment where you felt like you were absolutely right? Like you had your argument down. You knew exactly what you were going to say. You knew the details. You thought you had everything put together and like anyone could come at you. Anyone like just try me. I promise you I am right on this. But then all of a sudden someone presents some facts that were missing from what you started with. And one of those facts change everything. Have you ever had that moment where you just you thought you knew what was right and then just one little piece of information absolutely changes your perspective on the situation? It's so frustrating. You, you feel like you have it down and then it all changes. And it reminds me of the classic Star Wars movie, The Empire Strikes Back. Luke is training. He's becoming a Jedi. He's doing all this stuff. The enemy is clear. He knows exactly who he's going for. I mean, Darth Vader has no shot. Like Luke is coming for him. And as they're battling towards the end and Luke is hanging on for dear life in this epic battle, Darth Vader drops this nugget of wisdom on him that he had no clue about. When he looks and he says, Luke, I am your father. It changed everything. And just that epic scream, no, it's not true. Like it, it was. And it changed everything for him. And look at this truth on the screen. While perspective changes everything, oftentimes it's hard to find. Perspective is one of the hardest things for us to find and keep in perspective. I feel like parenthood is just this constant battle of keeping perspective in front of our kids. And our two little humans, Brooklyn is seven, Audrey is four, and they are just blissfully unaware of what is enough. They have no perspective on what's enough because this summer, they've had a really good summer. We were able to go to the little island that my family is from in the Caribbean, and we were doing some things with uh, laying my dad to rest there. And and obviously, they didn't have to do anything with that, but they just got to swim every day in the ocean. They got to meet new cousins. They got to ride around on four-wheelers and golf carts. They were in heaven. And then they also got to go to summer camp a few weeks this, this summer, and then they had Uh, We had a family vacation that was planned since Christmas. We haven't gone on vacation with my in-laws since like 2013, right? It's been that long. And so we planned this trip together. They got to go to Orlando and they're hanging out with their little cousin that they FaceTime every week. And like, it's an awesome summer, not to mention the little $30 inflatable Target pool that we bought them. Like, what more do you need in life? You got a pool, you got vacations. Like, what is the deal? And so they have these moments where they try to make Lauren and I feel guilty when they have to sit in an air conditioned house and watch Netflix and eat snacks all day. We don't ever get to do anything. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me create a little perspective for you, because for me, about 80 percent of my summer was spent underneath the desk in my mom's office because both of my parents had to work. So I'm just underneath there doing crossword puzzles and playing on a Game Boy if I got lucky when I got a little bit older. But like, don't come talking to me about you're bored and you don't have anything. Do you know how many summers I had to take naps on bags full of flour in the back of my dad's pizza restaurant? Like, don't, don't, children, don't you come at me with you don't have anything to do. You have so much but isn't that the case? Like as parents, it just feels like this constant like, battle of trying to create perspective for our kids. We don't get to do anything. We don't have anything. It's like if I had half of what you had, I would never I would never complain again. Right. But as difficult as it is with our kids, isn't it true about ourselves as well? Isn't it really difficult for us to keep perspective? on what we actually have in life? Isn't it hard for us to wake up every day and and recognize that we have a God who loves us and, and a God who gives us purpose and talents and opportunities, and he's, he's working in the background to create moments for us to have meaningful interactions with people, and it's, it's like, we naturally drift towards the things that we don't have, what we wish we could do, what we wish we had, which where we wish we could be, and, I wish I was inside that $30 inflatable pool from Target. Like instead of at this job sitting at this desk doing this, I would gladly just post up in that pool for a couple hours. Like we we naturally drift towards losing perspective on what we actually have. In the challenging seasons of life, it distracts us from how faithful God has actually been. The purpose that He's put within us, the ways that He's shown up for us in the past. And so many times we lose perspective. But let's give ourselves a little bit of comfort here because many times it's because we have an enemy who wants us to go that direction. Look at this truth on the screen. The enemy of your soul wants you to focus on the storm rather than the one who can silence it. The enemy of your soul knows that, listen, if I can get them focused on how bad this situation is, how little they have in this moment, how afraid they are, how insecure they are. If I can get them to focus on those things, they'll lose perspective on how good God actually is. And so we're in this battle, not only with ourselves, but with the enemy of our purpose, the enemy of our soul. We're in this battle to keep perspective. And that's why today we're talking about the power of perspective, why these 21 days of prayer help us to recalibrate and refocus and regain the perspective that we need. Last week, we looked at this story about the prophet Elijah, and he had two, like, overwhelming victories. And if you missed it, the cliff notes is that he he went into this, like, battle royale with the prophets of Baal, these false prophets. And they both were going to try to call down fire from the sky and the prophets of Baal tried and they did all kinds of crazy stuff. And he started making fun of them and making bathroom jokes with them. Like it, it just was a crazy story. And then he prays a simple prayer and God sends fire down from the sky and burns up this offering. And then right after that, He says, hey, you know, this drought that God was going to be here, these three years of no rain, no dew, no water, nothing is going to come. God is about to break those. And so he persistently prays on top of the mountain that God would release the rain. And after this persistent prayer happens on the seventh time of the, the servant going to look and see if if the rain was coming, the rain finally starts to come and pours down this overwhelming flood into the land, bringing life back to it. Fire from the sky, rain from the sky. And you would think in this moment, Elijah would just be like strutting his stuff, like walking through town in a bathrobe, holding his coffee like, hey, what's up? What's going on? Did you see what I did yesterday? Like, did you see what just happened? You would think that he would have this overwhelming confidence. But check out what happens in the story in first Kings 19, starting in verse one. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Verse three, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Just, just think about that. Like he prayed, God, just, just take me. Look at what he says. I have had enough, Lord. I'm done. Take my life for I am no better than the ancestors who have already died. It's like, why are you so morbid? What is going on here? You you just had this overwhelming victory. You would think after the previous day's events that he would be just filled with confidence, but fatigue and a lack of perspective can cripple even the mightiest of us. That fatigue, That that overwhelm, that moment that even though God has shown up in these incredible ways, all it took was the words of one woman saying, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. That just shook him to his core, to the point that he's he's running away in fear and he's going, God, I'm done, man. I'm done. I have nothing left. Last week, as we looked at the story, we we skimmed over the part that as he's in this battle, he says to these prophets before he shows them up, he says, I'm the only one left. And there's 450 of you. And we didn't talk about that last week, but it's important for us to talk about it now. Elijah had convinced himself that he was the only one fighting the good fight. He was the only one trying to live for God. He was the only one who had it right, that that knew what he was doing, that was still connected to God. He had convinced himself that he was alone. And even though he had this relationship with God, he still felt like I'm the only one. And we're gonna see more of that in a second, but I I just wonder about you. Do you feel that same thing in this moment? Do you feel that, that pressure of, Man, I'm, I'm the only one trying to do this faith journey in all of my family. Like, I'm, I'm the only one in my high school class that's still trying to keep myself pure and, and still just trying to do things the right way. I'm, I'm the only one in my family, who's trying to follow Jesus and hasn't given up on church. I'm the only one in this job that hasn't given up on people and, and just hates everyone and is just miserable. Like I'm trying to still fight and like take care of people and love people and, and help people see the perspective that there's still good things going on here. Maybe for some of you, you feel like you're the only one in your marriage trying to fight for health. You just feel like, God, I am all alone. But look at this. You may not be able to change your situation, but you can change your perspective. And this is what God is about to do for Elijah here in just a moment. We continue on to verse five. Then Elijah lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around there and beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. I just love this. I love that in his deepest, darkest moment of isolation, he decided, you know where I'm going? I'm going to the mountain of God. It's going to take me 40 days. It's going to take me 40 nights. And I don't have the strength. I don't have the energy. But I don't know where else to go but to the mountain of God, because I know God is there. And I just wonder for some of us, where do we go In those moments of weakness. Where do we go when we have those moments where we feel like I've got nothing left to give? Those moments where we feel like, God, I I just, I'm done. I'm done with all of this. In those moments, where do you go? Do you go back to God? Do you go back to your relationship? Do you dig even deeper into him? Do you chase down that time with him? Or do you do what so many of us do? We go to those bad habits that we've had. We go back to those bad relationships that have hurt us in the past, but they, they feel like they give us a little bit of comfort because it's familiar. Do we go back to those moments and those insecurities, those fears, those, that bad, like negative mindset? Do we go back to those things instead of going to God? When you're in your moment of weakness, where do you go? And I just love that Elijah says, you know what? I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. But I know that the only place that I can go in this moment is wherever I believe God is. And I wonder how differently our lives would look if we had that same mentality. In verse 9, God looks at Elijah and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And I want you to notice that this is a question of perspective because God knew why he was there. He's God, but he wanted Elijah to admit it. He wanted Elijah to say it out loud, to make it really clear, not for God, but for himself. Why why am I here? What am I doing here? In verse 10, Elijah lets loose and he says, God, I've served you well. I have done all the right things. I have gone to the right places. I have said all the things that you want me to say. I have worked hard. I am alone in this. I am the only one doing this. Matter of fact, Israel has given up on you. They've quit you. They've burned your altars. They've turned, they've torn them down. Like they want nothing to do with you. And I am the only one because they killed all the other prophets. And now they're threatening to kill me. I am done I'm tired. I'm through with feeling like I'm the only one, God. That's why I'm here, because I've been doing the work and I am tired and I am alone. And it was important for him to get that off his chest. And I'm, I'm just here to tell you, like, God's not afraid of those conversations. God's not afraid of you going, you know what, God? Actually, I'm pretty ticked off with you right now because I feel like I have done right and fill in the blank. God's not afraid of that. God isn't upset because we have those moments where we feel like, God, you're not you're not holding up your end of the bargain. Now, understand in those moments when we respond to God that way, he's got something he's going to say back. And so God does that. But before we go there, understand that isolation eliminates perspective. Because he had gotten to this place where he felt like he was all alone, that there was, there's nothing he could do. He was just, he was by himself in this journey. It eliminated his perspective of what God was doing around the whole world. It eliminated what God was doing in his life. It eliminated what God had just done the days before He just called down fire and rain from the sky. And Elijah so quickly forgot about that because he had isolated himself to a point that he says, God, there's no one else. I am all alone. Verse 11. The Lord tells him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I want you to see this truth before we move on. Never let the chaos of this season distract you from God's whisper. Never let the chaos of what you're going through be so distracting. The wind and the storm and the earthquake and the ground shaking beneath you, the fires that seem to be burning you every time you try to do something in this season. Never let that distract you from God's whisper. And you say, wait, what do you mean? Why why a whisper? Because think about it. The only way that you can hear a whisper is to be close. And God is on this journey of proximity with us because he understands that if he can keep us close, if he can just whisper to us. You see, the enemy of your soul shouts lies, but God whispers truth, not because his voice can't get loud enough but he wants it to be a whisper so you draw close, that you slow down everything in your life, that you quiet down all the noise so that you can hear his gentle whisper because he knows that if he can keep you close, you'll hear his voice clearer than ever before. God's gonna whisper those truths to you that you need to hear, but it requires us to not be distracted by the storm, distracted by the earthquake, distracted by the wind, to quiet ourselves enough to hear him whisper to us. Elijah responds the exact same way to God's question. I'm alone. I'm exhausted. I'm afraid. I've already told you this. And and I've always wondered why God did this. Like, why the earth, wind, and fire? Besides being a pretty epic band. Like, what was that all about? And and honestly I just wonder if God was going Bro do you see what I can do? Do you see that I am literally in control of the wind and the ground and fire like I do you know how much of a beast I am and you're scared of a woman? Granted she's an evil woman but like I just shook the mountain before you and you're afraid that I can't take care of you? You're afraid that I'm, I'm not going to do enough to ensure that you're going to be okay? I, I just wonder if, if God is, is trying to get his attention to go, do you not understand how great I am? But again, fear and isolation And exhaustion can keep us from seeing what God is capable of doing through our lives. If we get caught up in our lives and in our seasons and in our situations, it can be so impossible at times to get the perspective of what God is capable of doing in our lives. So God responds back to him by telling him, listen, go back the way that you came. And I want you to anoint a couple of new kings throughout the land. And this is important because it it represents new leadership, leadership that's going to be aligned with God's heart. And he says, go and meet a young boy, a protege, that will actually be the one who's going to take over when you're gone. He, He provides companionship for him. He provides a future for him. And then just to top it all off, he goes... And when you go the direction that I tell you, you'll find 7,000 Israelites who have never bowed a knee to Baal and have never kissed the idol. So stop with all this. I'm alone and no one knows and woe is me. Stop with that. Do you not know that I've got you, that I've got people You see, he was so convinced that what he was seeing was right, but what he really needed was the Lord to open his eyes to see what he had been preparing all along. Because in the background of Elijah's life, God had been preparing kings and the next prophet and thousands of people waiting for the right moment to step in and for God to reveal his plan All along. And you and I have to understand that God has so much more for us than we could ever comprehend. God did not create you. You are not living. You don't have breath in your lungs so you can just survive this life. His plan for you is so much greater than you could ever imagine. But we lose sight of that because of our current situations and we can't see what God is wanting to do. I love the words. And passage, this passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, 15, look at this. It says, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. Talking about when he parted the Red Sea for the Israelites back in the day. Verse 17, I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses and I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned and their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. Verse 18, but forget all of that. Forget all of that. It's nothing compared to what I am going to do. All of these things that we read about in the Bible, all of these incredible things, forget about all of that what God is about to do will blow our minds. Verse 19, for I am about to do something new. You see, I've already begun. In other words, I'm already working on this where you feel like I'm being silent, where you feel like I'm not at work, where you feel like I am absent, I have been working on this. It's just waiting for the right moment. I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the field will thank me. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. Man, we just sang about it in in our song. We're seeing God turn mourning to dancing, beauty to from ashes, shame into glory, graves into gardens, seas into hot. God has done so much for us, and He has such an incredible plan for your life. But we lose perspective on that because our situations feel so much bigger than our God. And the enemy of your soul wants you to be so locked in and focused on your storm that you forget about the one who can silence it. We cannot get caught up in this. And that's why this this 21 days of prayer is so incredibly valuable for us. To carve out that time to say, God, I need a new perspective. I need you to open my eyes to what you're doing to see how you're working in the background, to see how you're moving and how you're you're using our lives. But but there's a really key verse that follows up all of those incredible things that God wants to say and all of those incredible things that God wants to do. And it's verse 22, and it's, it's so sobering. But dear family of Jacob, you refuse to ask for my help. You have grown tired of me, O Israel. You refuse to ask for my help. You've you've gotten so tired of the way that I do things. You've grown so tired of having faith in me. You've grown so tired of the small steps and the small answers like we talked about last week. You've grown so tired of that that you've just stopped asking me for help. And you've decided that you're just going to do this thing all on your own church i just wonder have we grown tired of god is he looking at us and challenging us with those same words don't don't you understand that what i want to do i want to bring water to the dry areas i want to bring hope i want to rebuild i want to bring just all of these things into your life but you you've given up on me you've given up on my plan you've given up on me having the opportunity to do these things in your life because you're done asking me for help. Today, we get to make a choice. Today, we get to recalibrate our eyes, to recalibrate our thoughts, to get our minds and our hearts realigned with what God wants to do in our lives. And it starts with us saying, God, I'm not tired of you. I'm not done asking for your help. I'm not done asking for your perspective. God, I need you more than I've ever needed you before. It starts with us saying, enemy, you have no more voice in my life. You don't get to feed the lies that God isn't going to show up, that the storm is bigger and greater than him. We need that perspective We need the power of prayer that then changes our perspective in order for us to become who God has called us to be. So church, today, right where you are, sitting in your living room, watching on your phone, will you lean into God today and say, God, I've been trying to do this on my own. I've been trying to make this happen. I've been trying to do it in my own power. I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to lean in. And I need you, God, to help me see my life in a whole new way. As we wrap up today, I'm reminded of a story where Jesus went to visit his dear friends, Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. And as Jesus got there, Martha is is going about the business like he's there. He's a guest. I mean, he's he's like a really big deal kind of guest. And so she's in the kitchen and she's cleaning the house and she's getting the meal prepared and she's doing all the things. And she looks over and her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening and just talking with him. And she just keeps getting more and more frustrated. And finally, she can't take it anymore. And she goes, Jesus, would you tell her to do something? Like, I'm doing all this work. I'm just trying to get you fed. I know you're hungry. I'm trying to take care of you and She's just sitting here at your feet doing nothing. And Jesus, with a heart of compassion, looks at her and he says, Martha, she understands the value of this moment. I'm not going to take that away from her. Instead, why don't you change the way that you see this situation and understand that I am more than enough? And I just wonder how many of us are so busy being at work, so busy trying to live a good life, so busy trying to go through the motions, so busy trying to be a good person. We're so busy and we're looking at God going, hey, I'm doing all of these things. Is this not enough? And his challenge to you would be, when's the last time you just sat at my feet? When's the last time you just stopped? And let me speak into your life. When's the last time you allowed my presence to be enough for you? Today, as we close, as we pray, I hope that you walk away from this message. You walk away from this series, understanding the power that's in prayer and the power that comes from a perspective that's aligned with what God wants to do in your life. Friends, I hope today you will slow down enough for God's presence and his, his anointing on your life to be enough. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, I know I can be so much like Martha where I get so caught up in all the things that I'm doing, so caught up in trying to do the right things for you. And, and man, I, I have found myself at times going, Jesus, look. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing all of this. I'm trying to be a good father. I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm trying to be a good follower of Jesus. Like I'm trying to do all of these things. And you've you've had to remind me to have that mentality and that perspective of Mary that says it isn't what I'm doing. But it's who I'm becoming. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us in this season, in this moment, that we would sit at your feet that we would allow you to realign and reestablish our perspective, that we'd see our lives the way that you see them, that you would help us to see your hand at work in the background and that we'd be able to lean in in a way that, like we never have before. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And we pray all of this in your strong name. Amen.